Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with the pain of post-pandemic travel. Demand is surging as restrictions lift and airlines are short-staffed, leading to major delays. Experts say there is likely no end in sight to the immediate chaos. Krista Dow is live at YVR with more. Uh, Krista, over this long weekend, Canadian airlines and airports actually saw the worst delays globally. Sophie, it's a ranking no airline wants to be on and no passenger wants to be a part of. But for Canadians, this long weekend, hard to escape. Four air carriers, Canadian air carriers, topping the global list for worst delays. Air Canada, top of that list, with more than 700 flights delayed, according to Flight Aware. Now, second in line is WestJet and Swoop, coming in third and fourth for those delays. Earlier at YVR, the scene relatively calm, but there were flight impacted today too. But travelers telling us delays were about an hour or less. A very different scene at Pearson Airport, where there was a very chaotic scene where it ranked second globally for the worst delays. This comes as Air Canada announced it was flashing more than 10,000 flights this summer. Travelers say, though, there's been little communication. It's been a lot busier than I thought. We're just flying to Montreal and the line has been crazy. What's it been like for you this morning? <laughs> it's been hectic. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. are you flying to? Just going to Kelowna. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's not a lot of guidance, unfortunately, here right now. So, um, yeah, busy. That this is not the time to be shy to take matters to course. We are not dealing here with a normal situation where I know that Canadians tend to be very understanding. What we are seeing here is a calculated, deliberate manner in which the airlines have oversold, overbooked their network-wide capacity. They sold way more tickets than the number of passengers they can reasonably handle in terms of their own staffing and the airport facilities and capabilities. Well, if that's the case, Krista, what recourse do travelers have? What do they need to know? Well, passenger rights advocates say to document everything, Sophie. They say these delays and cancellations are within the airline's control, and that means they are on the hook for compensation or also rebooking you on a competitor's flight. Back to you. 
All right, well, hopefully the challenges ease off in the, the days to come. Thanks, Krista. Now to Burnaby, where RCMP are investigating a daytime shooting that has injured one man. He was taken to Vancouver for treatment, which reportedly led to a heavy police presence at the hospital. Kamal Karamali joins us live with the details. Kamal, what have you learned about who lives in the neighborhood where this went down? Sophie, the show shooting took place outside of the home of longtime Hells Angels member Ronaldo Lissing, who has a long history of criminal activity in the Lower Mainland. Global News has confirmed the home is registered under Lissing and his wife's names since 2004. Now, Burnaby RCMP say they got the call uh, around uh, 11.20 this morning for shots fired at Patterson Avenue, just south of Imperial Street. There they found a 59-year-old man suffering from gunshot wounds. Now on scene, you could see a vehicle right outside Ronaldo Lissing's home covered by a tarp and a group of people near the home throughout the day. Now police uh, say the shooting appears to be targeted and the victim is known to police. Now he was transported to hospital and is expected to survive. Vancouver General Hospital has said they've beefed up security at the emergency department because of, quote, security concerns. The home belonging to Ronaldo Lissing, a longtime East End Hells Angels member, he's been convicted for drug trafficking and firearms possession and was sentenced to nearly 12 years in jail and also made headlines after punching a man unconscious outside of a Vancouver nightclub. Police are choosing not to publicly name the victim because, as of now, they don't believe there's a threat to public safety. We, we don't have any indicators at this time to say that there will be retali retaliation. Uh, people can jump to conclusions. Uh, people generally do. Uh, what we're basically saying to the public right now is we don't believe there's an ongoing uh, public safety issue for you. Now, police are still looking for a suspect, though no one has been brought in here to this detachment for questioning as of yet. And Sophie, they're also looking to question the victim who is still in hospital, once again expected to survive as well. Back over to you. All right, thanks for that. Kamal Karmali reporting in Burnaby. Well, charges have been laid in a brazen shooting at the Williams Lake Stampede grounds over the long weekend. Police and paramedics responding to reports of a shooting inside the Stampede grounds on Sunday afternoon. Two people were injured and taken to hospital, including an innocent bystander. One person was taken into custody. Jordell Anthony Sellers is now facing charges of attempted murder and discharging a firearm with intent to endanger life. The Mounties say this may have been a targeted attack. According to organizers, nearly 4,200 people were on hand at the time of the incident. And staff quickly followed the evacuation plan to get spectators out. It happened very quickly and very orderly. It was, it was a calm uh, situation, uh, with the exception of when the incident first happened. There was, of course, some panic, but we, we managed to get people out very safely. Uh, we had a very good crowd yesterday, and so in response to that, of course, we had to get uh, the crowd separated to get first responders in. They absolutely did a great job of that. Organizers say this sort of thing is something they never expected and they are offering trauma counseling to those who need it. More details tonight about the 22-year-old twin brothers who died outside a Saanich bank in a shootout with police. Isaac and Matthew Octorloni lived in Duncan on Vancouver Island. The brothers, both gun enthusiasts with an interest in the military, 
Kristen Robinson has more on their chilling social media presence and what we're hearing from their former employer. Pacific Energy, which manufactures wood stoves and gas fireplaces, is shocked to learn the two suspects in the botched bank robbery and shootout in Saanich, Isaac and Matthew Octorloni, worked here until late June. We can confirm that they're employed at our facility between November 2021 and June 2022. While employed with us, they gave us no indication of the behavior they were capable of. We are fully cooperating with authorities and answering any questions that may help shed light on this tragedy. The Duncan business also wishing the six police officers wounded in the line of duty a full and speedy recovery. Go. Videos posted on a now-deleted Instagram account in Isaac Octorloni's name show the brothers' fascination with firearms. Isaac completed the Soldier for a Day program in 2018, but the twins were never members of the military, despite Matthew's attempt to join. While Matthew did apply to the Canadian Armed Forces, a national defense spokesperson says he did not successfully pass the Canadian Forces aptitude test. It's entirely possible that the shootout was, was the intended objective of the bank robbery rather than the robbery itself. Christian Lupret says the case is puzzling and wouldn't be surprised if the suspects were looking for a fight, given they were heavily armed and likely would have known it would be tough to get away. Isaac's posts also included pro-gun, anti-Trudeau and anti-vaccine content, plus videos of past shootings. But it suggests to me also that perhaps these individuals were deliberately looking to harm um, representatives of the state, which is inherently what uniformed members are. Lupret says both RCMP and CSIS will be scouring social media as they try to determine whether the suspects acted alone or if there's a wider public safety threat. Oh, don't talk to me. Get out. With Octorloni family members asking for privacy, answers to the questions surrounding this tragedy may take time. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A former premier and former B.C. attorney general are going on the record in their support of Craig James, the former clerk of the B.C. legislature. James is due to be sentenced this week for fraud and breach of trust. And as Grace Key reports, jail time could be on the table. Crown is asking for one year incarceration. That would be jail time or a conditional sentence. Defense is asking for a conditional discharge and 12 months probation. So that means Craig James would avoid a criminal record if he follows the rules of his probation order. Crown is also asking for $1,800 in restitution. That's for clothing James inappropriately expensed as work attire. Crown saying this is not a massive dollar figure, but sentencing requires a clear and unequivocal denunciation. Craig James was found guilty of breach of trust. The judge acquitted him on fraud and other breach of trust charges related to a quarter of a million dollar retirement benefit and the purchase of a wood splitter and trailer bought in case of an emergency at the legislature. During the trial, the court heard how James bought dozens of items at various gift shops during his business travels abroad. The judge saying there was not enough evidence to support that they were for his personal use. 
Letters of support for James's character were also submitted in court, one from former Premier Gordon Campbell, another from former B.C. Attorney General Jeff Plant. In terms of denunciation and general deterrence, defense saying this has been fulfilled in spades with the extraordinary media coverage, saying James was tried and convicted in the court of public opinion. Defense is also saying James is remorseful. The judge will be back with a sentencing decision 9 a.m. on Friday. In Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. And some breaking news for you now on the contract talks between the BCGEU, G, BCGEU and the government. Talks have broken down and job action could be on the horizon. In a statement, the BC General Employees Union says negotiations were on a positive path last week. But the union says the province's latest offer did not address the increasing cost of living before talks ground to a halt. Of the nearly 33,000 workers, nearly 95% have voted in favour of strike action. Another COVID-19 wave is hitting BC, the third Omicron wave for those keeping score at home. What we could be in for, according to modelling experts, and how to protect yourself and your loved ones in just over a minute. The case of the stolen fire truck, how the thief managed to drive away with it, and the dramatic takedown later on the news hour. Also tonight, a protester bites off more than he can chew at the 4th of July hot dog eating contest. That's coming up later. Right now, though, COVID-19 is not slowing down for the summer. On the contrary, an uptick of Omicron cases is causing concern here. As Jasmine Bala reports, it looks like we're in for another wave. One expert fearing we will continue to, uh, the cases will continue to crest over the next few weeks. Hardly any masks in sight and only a few hints of the ongoing pandemic. This is the first summer with very relaxed public health measures. COVID is still around. And new modeling shows it may become even more visible over the next few weeks. This is suggesting now that there's going to be another wave of infections over the next four to six weeks. A third wave of Omicron, driven by two new variants, BA4 and BA5. These new strains, which are substrains of Omicron and conveniently called BA4 and BA5, um, have been growing. Right now, they're kind of increasing their market share of, of COVID in BC. The impact it's going to have is not yet clear, but BC's health minister says it's likely we'll see an uptick in hospitalizations. Over the last number of months, the number of hospitalizations has gone down. We see it. We see it and I expect it to trend up at least somewhat in the month of July and I think we're going to see that. Clearly that's going to be the case. Experts agree the best form of defense is still vaccines. We have new variants for which the reduction in efficacy of the vaccine happens sooner. So please go get your third shot. 87% of the population in BC has been vaccinated to some extent. 31% have had two shots. 47% have had two shots and a booster. And when it comes to those that are fully vaccinated with two boosters, the number falls dramatically to only 5%. When you compare that to the rest of Canada, BC is near last place. Right now, fourth doses are only available for seniors 70 and older and Indigenous people 55 years and up. But for other age groups... They were reviewing the recommendations of the NACI of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, who are national experts on the subject, and the BC Immunization Committee about access to those. 
But for now, the message from health officials is clear. Get your shots, whether that's the first, second, third, or fourth. Jasmbala, Global News. It's being called a big day for public health care. The province announcing the next steps for a second Surrey hospital. Two companies have been shortlisted to build the new hospital and cancer treatment center in Cloverdale. Construction is set to begin by the summer of next year with completion by June of 2027. Cost estimates currently sit at about $1.7 billion. It's being described as the largest contribution to a health capital project in B.C. history and long overdue for one of the fastest growing communities in the province. People had planned as far back as the 1990s for a second hospital, land was purchased, and then that land was sold. And the idea that a, that a Surrey that is bigger than Vancouver can only have one hospital is frankly, well, it's not my idea. It's not Premier Horgan's idea. The new hospital will have 168 beds, a surgical suite with five operating rooms, and an emergency department with 55 treatment spaces. Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, the hospital announcement reflects the changing demographics and politics in what we like to call battleground Surrey. Yeah, impossible to divorce the political implications that come from these hospital announcements and school construction announcements. There's going to be more announcements tied to this new Surrey hospital in the months ahead because Surrey has become the key battleground area, as you mentioned, in B.C. Largely, who runs Surrey in terms of uh, seats uh, has the best shot of forming the provincial government. Here's an sort of a numbers game here of the changing numbers in Surrey. The NDP now has seven seats. That's up four since 2013. The B.C. Liberals are losing ground. Two seats, that's down three since 2013. Uh, we're going to see a test of, in the months ahead with a by-election to be held in Surrey South to replace the departed Stephanie Cadu. Usually a strong Liberal seat, not as strong as it's been in recent uh, elections. And keep a uh, look at this one. Surrey's likely to get another seat through redistribution. Currently the process underway. Surrey has nine seats, Vancouver 11. Surrey now on an equal footing with uh, Vancouver in terms of population growth. So look for Surrey to pick up another seat, which makes Surrey even more politically important to determining who wins power in this province. You're going to see a lot of politicians spend a lot of time in Syria between now and the next election. Which is still a couple of years away. <laughs> All right, thanks for that, Keith. Coming up, players in a pickle. So we've been trying to sort out um, remedies to this for the last couple of years. The racket prompting one B.C. town to hire security. Also ahead, a cloud of uncertainty over the Assembly of First Nations about to start its annual meetings in Vancouver. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Good evening. Traffic is moving well both ways on the Burrard Street Bridge. Also in good shape in and out of downtown at the Granville Street Bridge. The one to avoid is the Camby Street Bridge with plenty of congestion at the south end. When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex Insurance today. I'm Trish Jewison in the AM730 Traffic Centre. 
A reminder to all homeowners in B.C., property taxes are due. Today is the deadline to pay your 2022 property taxes in most cities throughout the province. It's also the last day to claim your homeowner grant. Complete your deferment application or renewal in order to avoid a penalty. Most cities have a July 4th deadline, while the city of Surrey's was July 2nd. Vancouver and Burnaby are due on Tuesday. Well, pickleball is quickly becoming one of the more controversial sports on Vancouver Island. And now a battle of sorts is heating up in North Saanich. As Kylie Stanton reports, it's reached a point where private security has been hired to ensure players follow the rules. Four, seven. Players are serving it up Four, and neighbours are ready to rally. Yet another war on pickleball is brewing, this time in North Saanich. The Wayne Park courts generating complaints and now... It's game on. It's a different sound. More people were playing at, at, at the same time, which is a little different than tennis, uh, parking. And so we've been trying to sort out um, remedies to this for the last couple of years. The district has considered soundproof fencing and berms and recently restricted court hours in an effort to provide some reprieve for nearby residents. But that hasn't solved the problem. If you first read it, it seems like a, an overstep. Private security has now been hired to ensure the hours are adhered to and the courts are shut down on time. This will allow us to not only um, close the courts, make sure they're closed, but allow us to monitor through logging over that three months. It's just the latest drama surrounding the sport that's exploding in popularity. Back in April, noise complaints forced the city of Victoria to ban pickleball from the courts here in Todd Park. But players battled back, rallying outside City Hall, calling for more court access. We've basically been evicted from Todd Park without an alternative or options that are readily accessible in our district. And the message hit home. <laughs> the city quickly moved to open up courts in Beacon Hill, something the Victoria Regional Pickleball Association says is needed across the region in order to keep up with the demand. I'm going to say security guards is a little bit much. When a sport's on fire, I'll tell you the answer is more courts. To help inform long-term plans, the district will have security survey the area over the next three months. But mayor and council's term is up in the fall, and that could put everything in a pickle. Oh, nice shot, Laura. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Still to come, a BC mayor becomes the latest patient to lose their family doctor. And I have always had a family doctor up until June 30th. How the healthcare crisis is hitting all parts of the province. And later, residents keeping a close eye on Mission Creek, now under a flood watch. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. No delays in either direction tonight at the Patello Bridge. Just a bit of congestion heading south through the Queen's Park stretch on, on the Columbia on-ramp. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
Internal politics are playing out in a very public way for the Assembly of First Nations. The AFN's national chief, suspended last month, has now been removed from the agenda of the annual assembly in Vancouver tomorrow. As Neetu Garcha reports, there is growing support for an organizational review and forensic audit of the AFN. The national chief unfortunately came in with all that baggage now. Cookby or Chief Judy Wilson wants facts and a resolution to the leadership issues that have thrust hundreds of chiefs, elders and youth from across the country gathered in B.C. this week into the centre of a crisis she says has been years in the making. Now they're escalated uh, to the forefront of this AGA which unfortunately the uh, current national chief is carrying that baggage with her. Archibald claims allegations of bullying and harassment against her are manufactured distraction from corruption within the organization and is calling for a financial audit of the Assembly as its annual general meetings get underway at the Vancouver Convention Centre starting Tuesday. Nobody has that right to to, um, ban our national chief from her meeting. On Monday, as they gathered for private meetings, Archibald tweeted, The regional chiefs continue to try and silence me, my call for transparency, accountability and truth. They have erased the national chief from the agenda. This is a chiefs in assembly meeting, not an AFN exec meeting. This is where she gets her direction from all the chiefs, so she can't do her job with, 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 you know, without being here. The AFN reversed an earlier statement that Archibald would be barred from attending this week's meetings after Archibald made an urgent court appearance in Ontario last week to ensure she can legally attend. But the judge rejected her bid to overturn her suspension. A lot of people in this country who still are not comfortable with Indigenous empowerment, uh, they aren't really comfortable with the idea of Indigenous people being full partners in Confederation. And they take an example like this and say, see, we told you. I'm looking forward to getting the full information so that as leadership, as the chiefs and assembly, we can deal with these issues once and for all. Especially amid a pivotal point in Canadian history with a reconciliation-focused papal visit to Canada just a few weeks away, many here say now is a critical time to find a way out of this crisis. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. And as the Assembly of First Nations gets set to start its annual assembly tomorrow, supporters of the family of Chantal Moore are stepping up their pressure on the New Brunswick government. The 26-year-old Moore, who was originally from B.C., was killed in the city of Edmonston in June of 2020 by, police officer, by a police officer doing a wellness check. The jury at an inquest into her death ruled the shooting a homicide. Experts testified the officer was justified in his actions, but suggested that if officers had more training, the outcome might have been different. The jury had six recommendations, including de-escalation training and more access to non-lethal weapons. Recommendations Moore's mother and her supporters say are not being implemented quickly enough. It's discouraging. But I knew coming into this, trying to have them implemented was, was not going to be an easy task. And I think that's where all of us come in together to try to figure things out to be able to move forward. Because if, if we're not going to be able to come together and work, you know, work on a solid plan of action, then we're, not going to, we're going to be stuck in the same place we were two years ago at the loss of my daughter. Global News has reached out to the government of New Brunswick for its response. So far, we haven't heard back. 
Canadian border guards have seized a large stash of drugs at a land crossing in the Lower Mainland. The Canada Border Services Agency says the truck was sent for secondary inspection at the Aldergrove crossing in Langley. That's where officers spotted some pallets that had been tampered with. Further inspection uncovered 50 brick-shaped objects, which turned out to be 50 kilograms of suspected cocaine and one kilo of heroin. No word on whether the truck driver was arrested. Well, the family doctor shortage isn't confined to Metro Vancouver. In the Okanagan, thousands of residents don't have and can't find a physician. And as Global's Taya Fast reports, that's prompting two mayors to take action. Well, my biggest concern is a collapse of the healthcare system. We're definitely in crisis here. This South Okanagan is facing a healthcare crisis as thousands of residents don't have a family doctor. We're now encroaching on 5,000 patients being unattached. So what that does is it puts extra workload on the emergency department because your only access to health care is to go to the emergency department or go up to Penticton. Oliver Mayor Martin Johansson and a Soyuz Mayor Sue McCordoff are working with the province to help solve this issue and recently met with Health Minister Adrian Dix. Really found it to be a productive meeting and I really thought it was a breakthrough that I'd been looking for and in the, really what the breakthrough was the minister wanted a follow-up meeting with us. They say this area is lacking locum doctors, creating an overwhelming workload for family doctors still practicing. And this year, several doctors are retiring without a replacement. I think the workload is just becoming, becoming unsustainable. For those physicians, working 70, 80 hours a week just is not something that's uh, realistic. This issue hits close to home for McCordoff as she recently lost her family doctor. I've lived here for 53 years. And I have always had a family doctor up until June 30th. My doctor has decided that um, he is not going to have a longitudinal practice. McCordoff added that this issue will not be fixed overnight and it will take a collaborative effort. The bottom line is we all want to, you know, to work together and provide medical services and so many people say, well, if you just did this and you just did that, but that doesn't work because there's too many issues that have to be looked at. Johansson and McCornoff say they will do everything they can to help address the doctor shortage. TFS Global News. Still to come tonight, a daughter's decades-long search for the father she never knew. As soon as I saw him, <sighs> it was really emotional. How their reunion started a mission to help others in need later. Plus, lights and sirens on Highway 1. Why police were in hot pursuit of a fire truck just ahead. We have breaking news involving a serious police incident at a Surrey motel. Officers have taped off the Days Inn on King George Boulevard and 104th Avenue. A tent is up near a blue car in the parking lot and a number of evidence markers are on the ground. At this point, exactly what happened here is not known. But we have reached out to Surrey RCMP for details. We will bring you the latest as it comes into our newsroom. 
Well, many people in Kelowna and surrounding areas are keeping a close eye on Mission Creek after a flood watch was issued. It comes just weeks after Mission Creek spilled its banks and damaged nearby homes. Global's Jaden Wozni has the latest. A high stream flow advisory issued on Sunday for some southern parts of B.C. turned into a flood watch for Mission Creek just 24 hours later. It's a combination of, of course, of the rain that occurred yesterday and then the potential for rain to occur over the next couple of days. Between 10 to 20 millimeters of rain has fallen throughout the region since Sunday, and that's also impacted Okanagan Lake. This rainfall event that occurred late yesterday did push the lake up uh, another centimeter again. Again, that's uh, compared to having it drop by a few centimeters recently as well. Uh, the likelihood is that we're probably nearing the, the peak for the lake for the season. One woman who lives along Mission Creek says she isn't worried yet, but she's watching the water closely. This year it's been much higher than for a longer period of time than any other year that I've lived here. Typically, Fatima says she enjoys a small sandy beach in her backyard, but she hasn't been able to use it this year. In July last year as well, when we had the hot 40-degree weather, we were actually sitting in the creek and had to make little pools because the water was so low. And this year, it's very high and consistently high. It keeps going up and down every time it rains. The good news for those who live near Mission Creek is the worst is likely behind us. In the long range forecast looking ahead, we aren't expecting any major amounts of moisture. We could see some scattered stray sprinkles, but I don't expect that to be affecting water levels too significantly. So really the concern was the moisture that we had throughout the day Sunday into the day on Monday. At this time, the Mission Creek is the only waterway under a flood watch, but that may change for other waterways depending on how much rain falls in the next little while. Jaden Wozni, Global News, Mission Creek. And I know there are some concerns about flooding elsewhere in the province as well, Yvonne. You'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but first, as we start to wrap up, some people took today off too. Some people are on extended vacations. But yes. How's that weather? It doesn't in feel very summer-like, though. No, it's... and I mean I'm not complaining. No, exactly. But it is not exactly. July-ish. No, it doesn't feel like it. Summer's on pause. We've been saying that over the last couple of days. It is going to pick up once again in the long range, and I'll have more coming up, and I'll show you the latest from the BC River Forecast Centre. A glance at what it looks like outside right now. We do have that cloud cover. Temperatures are sitting at 18 degrees. We've got a northwesterly wind, light at 4 kilometres per hour. We saw that drop in temperatures for many areas. Kelowna today just getting up to 20. Williams Lake 19, and areas near Lytton today topping out at 24 degrees. We are tracking rainfall along the south coast, but it's primarily across the island. It'll continue overnight and then taper out, tapers off as we get in through the day. We are going to hang on to cloud cover for Metro Vancouver. Now, the southern interior's severe thunderstorm watch has ended, but we're still seeing some rainfall across the region and a few isolated lightning strikes for the northeastern corners of the province for areas near the peace, so we're still seeing that risk of thunderstorms, but it is non-severe. Now, overnight, the plan for Metro Vancouver will dip down to 12. It has been cooler. We've got cloud cover for the morning hours and then a nice clearing is on the way. Temperatures tomorrow 19 away from the water up to 24 degrees with the humidex though areas inland tomorrow feeling like 26. We still have a bit of instability though in the one area across the province. I'll put this into play for the afternoon and early evening tomorrow for the southern interior, the central regions in the northeastern corners, leaving in a slight chance for some showers and the risk of thunderstorms and that'll add to the flood concerns across the province. Now the Chicolton today has been upgraded to a flood watch. We covered the Okanagan, that's also included within it. 
areas near the Quinell region, though, river rather, that's where we're seeing the flood warning, and that will exceed bankful, where the flood watch may exceed bankful, but we'll see that with the flows very high over the next few days. The northern half of the province, uh, instability, it'll be that chance for some showers, risk of a thunderstorm, similar for the southern half, that'll add to that flood concern across the province with temperatures into the low 20s. Along the south coast, I've left in the northern and central regions of the island that could see a few isolated showers. A clearing is on the way, a bit of a blip in the forecast for Wednesday, Thursday, and then we'll be back into some sunshine by Friday and hopefully leading in towards the weekend. It warms up as well. Tonight's weather window, a great shot, a double rainbow that was captured by Melissa. So does that mean double the pot of gold at the end of this? I hope so. I think so. Let's go with that. (laughs) Okay. Esquire might agree. (laughs) Thank you, Yvonne. A dramatic end to an unusual vehicle theft in Abbotsford earlier today. Abbotsford police managed to corral a Surrey fire rescue truck that had been stolen late this morning while firefighters were attending a non-emergency call in the Guildford area. Police say that pop you heard was not a firearm but a less lethal weapon such as a beanbag gun. A spike belt was used to disable the truck on Highway 1 at Clearbrook Road and a suspect is now in custody. An investigation is now underway into how the person was able to get into the truck and steal it in the first place. All right, let's bring in Squire Barnes now with a uh, look at what's coming up. Okay. What are, what are we laughing about? No, well, I'm just, sorry, I mean, I'm thinking about one who steals a fire truck. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want anybody to steal no. any vehicle. But if you're going to steal a vehicle, maybe something less... Less Obvious? noticeable? Yes, yeah. as a fire truck, because they're really going to want that back. Yeah. Okay. Unless he was turning on the lights and sirens so we could get away. Well. There's that. They'll still catch you sooner or later. <laughs> True. Quarterback uh, Nathan Rourke has been great, but he's not the only reason the BC Lions are 3-0. The Lions' defense is the best in the league right now. you got to think of every time we get on the field as not a chore, but an opportunity. And the Lions defense has another opportunity to show how good they are Saturday against Winnipeg. And later on the news hour, how a father-daughter reunion put the wheels in motion for help for families from Ukraine. Squire has a question about the fire truck. Well, if you if you steal a fire truck, are yeah. you then obliged to stop at a fire if you see one and help put it out? I think so, although I'm not be. sure how helpful that thief would have yeah. been. Wouldn't know what he's doing. Unless they are a trained firefighter, well, that's I true. doubt it. I doubt they would steal it if they're a trained firefighter. Uh, after BC beat Ottawa last Thursday, quarterback Nathan Rourke said, I told you guys, I'm not the only reason we are 3-0. and He's being modest, of course, but he is right, standing in the big shadow of Rourke's extremely impressive start to this season is the BC Lions' defense, which is the best in the CFL right now. Maybe that's because the offense has had the ball so much, but the Lions' defense has matured from the way it was last season, and right now it's easier to get into Area 51 than it is the Lions' end zone. Solely working quickly, line of scrimmage, four-man rush, pressure on, down it goes! As you can see, the Lions defense has stepped up its game this season. A year ago, they could barely get a sniff of the opposing quarterback. Heading into week five, only Saskatchewan and Montreal have recorded more sacks than BC. One thing that's really good on defense is if you don't 
have to blitz to get to the quarterback. Sometimes you do, which is great. But if you can ever get to the QB with a four-man rush, then then uh, it makes life a lot easier. So that's credit to our guys up front of, uh, of getting to the QB, um, even when we don't blitz. Uh, we've been great uh, in just getting stops, getting two and outs, you know. Um, that's, that's the most important. We give our offense a chance to go out and make some points, score some points. Far side. BC's defense is middle of the pack when it comes to forcing teams into two and outs. But if you did a deep statistical dive into the league stats, you'd see BC leading practically every other category, including limiting the opposition's net offense to a paltry 246 yards a game. Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is, is the DBs. They're doing such an amazing job. I think, I mean, like for me personally, knowing that I got those guys in the back end. I just, I just know I'll have time to get to the quarterback, so I, like, I keep rushing and, and we end up doing great things. The Lions are proving to be a handful on both sides of the line of scrimmage, which is why they're 3-0 and ready for a first-place showdown this weekend at BC Place against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And the longer the offense is on the field, the more the defense has to rest, the more panic the opposing offense has, you know, to try to throw the ball and try to catch up, you know. Um, so basically the probability of our offense scoring goes up if the defense is on the field. And then the probability of the defensive players making plays when the offense, the opposing offense is behind, you know, that's what we enjoy. Well, lots of good sections available today in Toronto for the game between the Bombers and the Argos. The uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers will be in B.C. on Saturday. And here's Winston Rose scoring a touchdown, 46-yard interception return, return make that, to give the defending champs, two-time defending champs, a 7-0 lead over Toronto. Now they make it 14-0. Zach Kalaros to Drew Wolitarski from 15 yards away. Great first half for Winnipeg. It includes former BC Lion Adam Big Hill with a sack on McLeod Bethel Thompson. But Toronto has rallied a bit. It's 17-10 in the third. To Wimbledon we go, Rafael Nadal. Botic van de Zanschulp. I'm sure he got his name exactly right, too. Nadal has won both Grand Slams. So far this year on the men's side, Aussie and French, oh, that's nice. He won the first two sets, 6-4, 6-2. more look at that drop shot. Now to the third set we go. Third set was a bit tougher for Nadal. Gets that one. Gets that one. And gets that one. Straight set win. He'll play Taylor Fritz in the corner. Quarters make that. Nick Kyrgios, Brandon Nakashima, fifth set. Kyrgios, no spitting at fans today, no swearing at umps. Just played some great tennis to reach the quarterfinals at Wimbledon for the first time since 2014. He'll play Christian Guerin unseated in the quarterfinals. That's it. Kyrgios moving on. Canada and the U.S. Virgin Islands. World Cup qualifying basketball, Shea Gilgis-Alexander with moves and the bucket, 24 points. How about Zach Eady from Toronto, 7 feet 4 inches. He's in the game. Kamloops' Kelly Olenek will pass it to an even bigger man than him. Eady puts it in. Canada wins this one easy. We are 6-0 in World Cup qualifying. And last but not least, the most disturbing 10 minutes in sports, the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest. Joey Chestnut with a cast on his leg, still doesn't matter. Not only does that not matter, 
some interloper coming on the stage and watch. <sighs> oh, no. Chestnut has to choke him out and then choke down the dogs. Nothing disturbs the champ. And he wins it for the 15th time. Man, oh, man, 63 hot dogs. And on the women's side, Miki Sudo won her eighth Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest. How do they celebrate, do you think? I don't really want to know. They don't go out for dinner, I don't think. No, I don't think so. After that, that's the one thing you never hear anybody say who's been there. Oh, that was great. Let's go get something to eat now. No, no. All right. Thank you, Squire. All right. Up next, a family effort to help refugees from Ukraine by a father-daughter duo who didn't even know each other. That's next. A father-daughter reunion 50 years in the making is spurring acts of kindness to help Ukrainian families settling in Edmonton. As Global's Lisa McGregor reports, the reunion is now turning the wheels of support and helping families in need. And I just went, that's my dad. It took Shauna Gonick most of her life to find her biological dad. And it turns out he was only 10 minutes away. As soon as I saw him... It was really emotional because I waited 50 years for this. She tracked Moore's Prediger down using Ancestry DNA. He and his family welcomed her with open arms. I'm still flabbergasted over the, you know, the efforts she put into it. The more she talked, the more I wanted her to be my daughter. So these are the bikes that I got. The father-daughter reunion is spurring acts of kindness towards Ukrainian families. They're giving away dozens of bicycles to families fleeing war. For Father's Day, Ghana gave her dad a bicycle, something he always wanted as a kid growing up in an orphanage. He loved it, but quickly realized he's a bit late for a bike. And I'm not in the shape to ride a bike. I can't even ride a wagon, let alone a bike. In the end, she and her father decided to donate it to a Ukrainian family and posted about it on Facebook. I had 30 messages, at least 30 messages saying, oh, we need this bike. We're, you know, we're a family of four or a family of six. You know, we just we're going to be arriving on Sunday. We have nothing. I figured, well, here, here, here's somebody who really needs a bike. The family getting the bike was so grateful when they dropped it off. It was unreal, the, the expressions on their face and... You know, I got a hug from the father, you know, quite, quite strong one too. Now, Gonick has donated more than a dozen bikes and hasn't stopped looking for more to give to other Ukrainian families. Many need one just to commute. We're all crying and sobbing. It was just a really emotional time. And when we drove away from that place, I just said, I got to give bikes to everyone. It's her new mission in her father's honor. Lisa McGregor, Global News. Oh, so glad they found each other. All right, I'll give Yvonne the final word on weather. Uh, we've got some cloud cover this evening, but a nice clearing is on the way. Hoping to see some sunshine in the mix tomorrow. Temperatures away from the water with the Humidex at 26. Wednesday, Thursday, a bit unsettled. And then sunny once again on Friday. Summer's out there somewhere. Yes, soon. <laughs> Eventually. Have a good night, everyone.